2: episode of aviation TV's connected I'm your host David Danto and uh, it's great to be joining you here virtually over video but our conversation today is going to be about not being virtual and over video our conversation today is going to be about getting back on the road again what it's like for business conferences what we experience what we expect to experience what it's been like for schools what schools are preparing for um, and and how do we see the space and boy I have an awesome group of guests today uh, that I'd like to have introduce themselves. I'm gonna ask them to do it one at a time in the order that they're on my screen, and uh, and then we'll pick up the conversation from there. So, Carolina, you're first. Why don't you say hello, tell everybody who you are and what you do.
3: Absolutely, Carolina Milanese. I'm the president, principal analyst at Creative Strategies and the founder of The Heart of Tech. I cover consumer tech across the board and how consumer tech influences and impacts enterprises. Uh, and it's about a look at the future work, education, and a passion of mine uh, that I focus on with the heart attack is CSR in technology companies.
2: Terrific. Thank you for joining us today. Joe, you're up next on my screen. Introduce
3: hey. yourself.
0: Thank you for having me. Uh, so I am Joe Wei, the Director of Learning Environments at the University of Southern California. So overseeing all the design installation and support teams for about 500 general use spaces across the enterprise, as well as I serve as the chair of the Higher Education Technology Managers Alliance, which ironically was uh, voted the best virtual event by AV Nation. We stuffed the ballot, a ballot box enough to win that one. And, uh, and then I also uh, host and edit the uh, Higher AV uh, podcast. Well, we'll
2: talk about we'll talk about whether or not the best virtual event is something that was uh, something you can be proud of going forward. But uh, let's continue with the introductions. Jason, you're up next. Why don't you say hello and tell everybody who you are and what you do?
1: Thanks, David. Glad to be here. I'm Jason McCraw. I'm Group Vice President with Emerald Exhibitions. I manage the CEDIA Expo and the Kitchen and Bath Industry Show.
2: Thank you, Jason. You've been doing this like, what, what, two years now, three years now, a few years in this industry?
1: I've been with Emerald under a year, uh, career over 30 years in managing uh, live exhibitions and conferences.
2: Awesome, and I've been to many of those, so thank you for joining us. Evan, you're up next. You, do, you need no introduction, but do it anyway.
4: Hey everyone, it's Evan Kerstell. I'm a tech fluencer, which means I work with B2B tech brands to drive uh, engagement and scale and reach on social media. And I'm um, a content creator, uh, a podcaster, and participant in this crazy world of enterprise communications.
2: Thank you very much for joining us Evan. And last but not least, Reggie, you're up. Go give, tell everybody who you are, and what you do.
5: Well, hello, uh, my name is Reggie Smith. I'm the chief executive officer for the United States Distance Learning Association. And we're the first nonprofit association founded here in the States. We're coming up on our 35th anniversary next year. And so, um, as an association, we have state chapters, national. We cover a wide variety of uh, constituents from pre-K to 12 to higher ed to corporate, military, um, and so we get to see a little bit of everything across the country and through our state chapters.
2: Reggie, thank you for joining us. Everybody, thank you for joining us in this conversation. So, so I'm going to start with, uh, with with Carolina and Evan just for a second here because um, um, I'm already booked. Uh, for CES 2022, I've got my hotel room. Wow. I've got my I've got my flights. Um, I'm not registered for it yet because I haven't opened registration. And you know, I do one of these video recordings there at the show. So I'm expecting to meet you guys in person and and have you. Evan, you did it last year, Carolina. I think we knew each other uh, two years mm-hmm. ago, but we will definitely do it this year. So it, 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 last year there was no CES. It was all virtual. There are some conferences that 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 have gone two years now without meeting. We'll. we'll have business conferences survived are they coming back will they look the same as they did i mean carolina what, what do you think about that I,
3: you know we we're just coming out of mobile world congress in barcelona and i think it's been a bit of a mixed bag right the people that were there mostly talked about the human connection um there was very little news coming out of the conference i think that was just a, a reaction to the fact that people We're not sure what was going on to the last minute. They thought it was going to be canceled again and then it wasn't as hybrid, Uh, juggling time differences. You know, I was waking up nine hours behind news, basically. And so keeping up wasn't that easy. Um, But it was a great step to, in my opinion, have a, a dry run of what might be like going back to conferences, not just during the time of COVID, but generally to try and lessen, um, you know, any kind of conference flu that you always catch at these things and, and make it safer for the people that attend. And I think that's not a bad thing. See, yes, I bless your heart that you're already booked. I am not, I do think I will attend. But I need a good reason to. And so I want to make sure that, um, you know, the the focus that is given both to hybrid, which seems what uh, CS will be like, uh, and for for the people that attend is right. And so I want to show up for things that are worthwhile, for connections, for meetings, uh, for, you know, live demos that just don't work over a camera, uh, but give me a reason to go.
4: Yeah, no, yeah and I, I'd say I'll, I'm going to go wherever David Danto goes. So if he's at CES, <laughs> I'm going to be there. But, but beyond that, I, I have no real business va- uh, uh, compelling business reason or, or there's no ROI for me personally to go to events. I mean, I spend every day on social media. I connect and engage with amazing people. I just got off of a clubhouse call with a thousand people from around the world discussing enterprise tech and emerging tech and tech news, networking and connecting and sharing. And I will continue to go to conferences to connect and to engage with clients and collaborators, fellow content creators and, uh, and, and meet new people. But I won't go there in the traditional way. I won't go there to sit through sessions. I can get the content online. I won't pay an exorbitant price to, uh, for questionable ROI. And I suspect a lot of individuals and companies will have similar perspectives on what they used to do with conferences.
2: Reggie, you had some thoughts
4: there? Oh, yeah. You know,
5: it's a relevant uh, topic because we as an association, you know, we're founded on doing distance learning and and living everything at a distance. But we also have really become accustomed to being in person. In the early days of USDLA, we used to do a telecom east and west with 25,000 people. Uh, Eventually we moved to a smaller model and our current iteration, we try to scope the conferences around 500 or so people so we can have that one-to-one connection, even though we live in this online space and we're actually moving our conferences around now. So I think they will come back. We're, We're hearing from people that they wanna come back and connect in a personal space. It's almost like everyone lived a year and a half of binge watching via Zoom or any other collaborative tool and now they wanna do a little bit of face-to-face at a distance. I think the hesitation is coming when organizations will either you know, uh, approve the funding for uh, people to go, and then also negotiating your contracts. I know we've gone back to our hotels and looked at the contracts and what we're gonna to commit to as far as food and beverage and on-site, but also looking at a balance of those that would like to be virtual. So I think we're gonna come back. Uh, you know, For us, I think our smaller fit uh, and our state chapters have conferences too. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not a fan of, you know, a 10,000 seat thing. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a good point, And it's something that, that everybody keeps coming back to, whether we're talking about, you know, the business world and hybrid working or, or hybrid conferences and hybrid learning. You know, the, the video collaboration tools technology does a fabulous job communicating one to many. Here's my new product here's my new system. Here's where I think the world is going. It's terrific. And it also does a great job in a one-on-one planned conversation. If I need to have a conversation with Jason, because we're talking about, you know, planning for CD upcoming, and Jason, I want to talk to you about that, um, uh, you know, that it works really well. But I just hosted a cocktail party in New York uh, for only vaccinated people. This was in the middle of June that that you get the impromptu conversations that you didn't plan with people. It's the hugging, it's the shaking hands, it's the networking. And so far we haven't found a technological way to, to simulate that. Um, you know, you you can always go to see what you're interested in seeing and the people you're interested in seeing, but you can't go to see what you haven't planned on seeing. I mean, Jason, you're, you're in this business, you're planning this stuff. What's your perspective from dealing with this? And then, Joe, I know you want to say something, I'll get to you next.
1: I think, um, uh, and Carolina touched on it, it's, uh, about the human connection, right? So, I mean, I, I can't reach through the screen right here and, you know, I can virtually shake your hand. We we can't drink a, a beer together at the cocktail party. I can't physically reach out and touch the product that I'm seeing in the exhibitors booth for the first time. And, you know, and then I think there's some serendipity that happens at, at events that, uh, you know, walking down the aisles, you're, you're surprised by something you didn't expect. And um, and, so, and there's a scale of it all. I mean, why do people still like to go to shopping malls? So, you know, it's about the experience that yes, you can buy things online, but it's also about uh, being to, around other people. So, you know, people, connections, networking, uh, seeing new products, those fundamentals uh, still exist. Uh, you know, they, those were the powerful drivers for live uh, in-person events prior to the pandemic. I think uh, we're seeing a rush back to the beaches and vacations because we've been cooped up at home. Uh, we're looking for balance in our lives. So, I mean, you're right. Uh, technology serves a vital purpose in allowing us to continue to connect in between those times when we can physically be together. And so I think there's still an inherent value in, uh, in gathering at in-person trade shows and conferences. Um, Will they be a little bit smaller, uh, you know, as we come out of the pandemic? Uh, yes. Uh, will they return to the the heyday, crazy days of, of the past? Will they be different? I mean, those are to to be uh, determined. But uh, I think there's still a great value, uh, and the attendees that will come are highly motivated, and I think the brands that are exhibiting uh, are also looking for, you know, uh, tangible ROI. Uh, you know, th- that they can experience in addition to what they've experienced through digital means uh, over these past 18 months.
4: Yeah, and I, <laughs> I think there is value. Uh, and and I I would agree with what you said, but there's also value in my time. I mean, another thing I'm never going to do again is go to a supermarket to shop. Because I've discovered through the pandemic that grocery shopping through Instacart is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I save tens of hours uh, a month avoiding grocery stores. And so there are certain things that I found super productive. And, you know, video was one of those. And I'm just not going to get on a plane 60 to 70% of the time anymore to go to events that have questionable value. Will I get on a plane to go to your your event? Absolutely. And uh, I'll continue to do that. But will it be 10 or 20% of my time? Probably. And not 60, 70. And so that's a fundamental shift for me personally and i suspect that's going to be a, a big shift for many people and many com- uh, companies too.
2: Yeah. So Joe, you were one of the lucky guys that that got to attend one of the conferences that happened as the pandemic was easing. It was a small one, you know, on the west coast. There weren't a lot of people, but, but you experienced, you know, after being cooped up and dealing with all this stuff. Well, you know, t- tell me your thoughts on all this, but tell me what that was like.
0: Yeah, um, you know, i will say that i don't think i've given more bro hugs in my life. Um, and it must've been in the thousands, even though there was only a hundred people there, um, because that was a missing piece. Right. And so I've already been to two in-person conferences, you know, since the pandemic, I already have three more planned for the rest of this year. So I'm a hundred percent. Let's get back in, let's get together. Um, and it's interesting when we, when I went back in person, you and how we, I looked at it. Because just like everybody else is saying here, I've always said pre-pandemic, I don't go to the, con- the conferences for the technology, I go for the people, I go for the after parties, I go for the connections, I go for the relationship building, which is 100% true and that is something special. This has already been mentioned here, is being able to have those impromptu conversations. There's that ability to build a community that's really hard to do when we're all burned out from another Zoom call, right? But I will, I will say this, that um, when we look at the effectiveness, which I would say that a lot of these online conferences have been ineffective, and especially the manufacturer, let me show you my new product thing, because when I was in person, I was doing a little bit of shopping for some LED walls. Let me tell you how actually nice it was to see them in person, to actually be able to walk and go, okay, I like that part. I can stand the the 18 feet away from that one and see what it's going to really be like and experience that, which I was saying pre-pandemic is not why I went to conferences. But there I went, oh, wait a minute. This is much different than seeing their little white paper on a webinar and telling me that this is the perfect thing than actually having it in front of me actually touching it and being able to experience it that I'm actually going to look at some of the bigger conferences different again and go okay maybe this is the opportunity to see the technology to ask the questions to have the impromptu conversations which for example on a normal webinar a normal online um you know, a online conference where you give a manufacturer, you know, 50 minutes to come do something. We know they spend 49 of it trying to do a sales pitch and then go one minute. Okay, any questions and answers in this last 60 seconds we have? You know, and and then you can't even get a conversation going, which was very different than, okay, I see it and we can talk 100% about my use case and how that product is going to be effective for me. And that is very different, uh, And I think is a missing piece that we really haven't thought about um, in this virtual world. And if the virtual world wants to stay and virtual conferences want to stay in some way or another, they have to work on how to make it effective for, you know, what the actual use cases are going to be and not just virtual commercials.
2: That's an absolutely fantastic point. And I want to come back to that. Carolina, you had a comment about ROI. And then I want to spend about five or 10 minutes on why virtual conferences across the board just kind of sucked. So, but, but Carolina, go ahead. I have
3: thoughts on that too. Um, Yeah, the point about ROI is that I hear from a lot of our customers that, that, you know, they're obviously, they want to talk to us about what we think the world is going to be like, what was our uh, reason to attend events. And to be honest with you, let's, you know, let's be clear, a lot of it is FOMO, right? It's the same FOMO that might get people back into the office. And so you're looking at your competition, you're looking at who's going, and I was like, okay, what is it gonna look like if I don't go? And a lot of brands have that same problem. You know, We started to see uh, already in 2019, some brands pulling out of CES as an example. Um, because the noise is just too much, you don't get enough attention, people are running from place to place, they don't mentally give you the attention you deserve, right, so some brands have, have walked away, but with trepidation, because the first time you do it, it's like, oh my god, they're going to think that we're going to go out of business, or we have no products, or whatever the case might be, so you have that FOMO that keeps you going back, the, the other part is that we are not the only one who want meaningful interaction. I totally agree with, with Evan that, you know, I don't wanna go back traveling as much as I traveled before. I get a lot of value just doing this. Um, and so I want to make sure that my time matters. And it's the same for the executive of all the companies that we go to conference to meet, right? Uh, is it, it, you know, it's exhausting to do 30 minutes sessions for all day long with people that are tired and, and actually are thinking about the next meeting that they're going to. And so even from a, from a brand perspective there are companies thinking about actually they're gonna go on the road versus getting us go on the road, right? And lastly, I would say it also depends very much of you know, why are you going to these conferences? Is it because of business? Is it because of learning? And I think that the learning part can be done very well online. The business part, somewhat. And so I think the motivation behind why you're attending are important as well.
2: No, that's, that's an excellent point. And, and, and let, let's talk just for a second. I'll give you a little bit of personal stuff about CES. And I, I've always found, at least for the last 10 years, that CES is the most important conference that i attend it's not where most of my colleagues and industry people are it's not where you know i get to do most of my networking but it's the conference that i go to that gives me an 18 to 24 month look ahead as to what's coming what wasn't i expecting what are the what are the black swans what's going to be happening in this space that i wasn't aware of and i leave that show exhausted um, because it's hard work, um, but I leave that show at the end of it, uh, getting that vision. So that's one of the reasons I have always gone. This year, CES obviously couldn't happen, um, in person, so they did it virtually. And I'll never forget this story. You know, uh, the, I forget which vendor it was, and I'm not pointing out just the vendor, but you know, the, their big press conference on Media Day. It usually happens at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. Las Vegas time, and we're all exhausted and getting up because we had been, you know, at press. Uh, uh, conferences and parties the night before. So, so they, were, they were doing their online conference this year. I, I get up 7 a.m. Eastern time, you know, in order to, to be on the conference, and they're playing me a YouTube video. And that right there explained what the failure, in my opinion, of all the virtual conferences were. If it's on-demand content, don't make me get up for it on your timetable and if it's on demand content it's not part of a conference it's you just trying to cobble something together for 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 you know getting people interested a conference is here's the speaker here's the topic here's the technology and ask your questions and engage and, and, and do have some of that ability to go back and forth. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just watch it on an airplane on the way home or, or, or in an evening or whatever. So, so, I mean, that's my opinion of why most virtual conferences sucked is because none of them understood um, interactivity. Uh, that's my opinion. Guys, jump in. Anybody else, you know, agree, disagree, have different feelings?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to get up at six o'clock if it's on-demand content, but I think this is a, an audience issue, and, and I'm, I'm curious if, if Evan um, agrees with me, given the, his, his line lying. Well, it's a,
4: it's a fail from their marketing and branding and promotion folks. I mean, I work with a, a big global blue-chip company called Ericsson who pulled out of Mobile World Congress again this year, and they were one of the first to pull out and recognize the effect of the pandemic uh, last year as well. Yeah. And, uh, y- you know, there, the attendance at Mobile World Congress, by the way, was about 20,000. It used to be over 100,000. But their reach at Ericsson has 10 x through digital and social, which means not just recorded YouTube videos and canned events, but leveraging the gamut of digital technologies from LinkedIn Live to to Twitter chats, to podcasting, to Clubhouse discussions, to, uh, you know, polls and interactive uh, digital media and and on and on. And I could go on and and, and on as, as to the way they've activated and engaged their audience beyond, you know, doing some YouTube videos. So the brands that get it, and I could name Microsoft, I could name a whole bunch of companies that get digital marketing, digital media, are seeing their audiences jump by orders of magnitude, and, and so you know there's going to be a big gap between the companies that get it and the company that will, companies that continue to do these really weak uh, webinars, basically.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that, um, and I think that the key is is the companies are looking at it from the message they want to put out and not the message that the audience and their customers want to hear. And that's the biggest difference. When you think that you have this online time, I have an hour, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to shove information down someone's throat, you are going to lose them. And this is one of those things that, you know, uh, that I already said that you, HETMA, our group, when we put on our virtual event. We always said that we were actually virtual before it was cool, before the pandemic, we were doing a virtual event. And what made us different, though, is that we don't actually do a either call for presentations or just tell manufacturer come up and speak what you want. We actually get together as a committee and as a community of higher ed tech managers. And we say, what do we want to know about Okay, esports is big. This is big. Leadership principles. How do we manage our teams through a pandemic? And then we get together and we go search for all the subject matter experts on that topic and put the panel together so that it's informational and educational to our vertical. That's why we actually see an increase in number of attendees as the week goes on because it gets out to everybody else. And then we're jam packed at the very end, usually getting more licenses and seats to make for the conference to work.
2: Joe, I live the situation you're talking about. I've lived it for a lot of years, you know, um, um, uh, prior to the experience you've had. And and there's an interplay here that we have to acknowledge. Part of me as somebody who puts on events, is the responsibility to provide the best possible most interesting content to to the attendees and the viewers even the show like we're doing here right now i pulled all of you together because i wanted your thoughts and opinions because that was important to me conferences are businesses part of the 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 reason to sponsor at a conference is you buy the keynote and you buy the panelist location and sometimes you can't put the best person on you have to put the person on who's helping fund the event so it's, it's a very difficult interplay to, to have just the best stuff because there are these other factors going on as well, including and, you know, guilty as charged years ago and I'm, I'm thankfully much better right now. I'm now got a, a keen eye toward diversity because I never really cared about that. I only wanted the best speakers and, and, and the most topical people that I could get. But then somebody approached me at a conference and said, you know, how come it's all white males? And, and you know, she was right. Um, If if I, who believe in diversity, aren't making an effort to get other voices into the conversation, who will? So there are a whole bunch of other interplays that are going on at that point, and and we have to be respectful of that because they they are businesses and they represent our community.
0: But if I could challenge that, though, because we did the exact same thing and we had our sponsors and, you know, the the big names that that, that like to uh, market into our higher ed vertical and said, you know, invited them to come and even give sessions and show the newer technologies. But we actually coached them and said, do not make this a sales pitch. Here's here's what our people want to know, you know, AV over IP, whatever, right? Here's what they want to know, your software-based solution. Show us a case study. Show this how it works. Get people who are also tech managers who've done this install on with you and make this a conversation and I can tell you, every one of the manufacturers who did that came back and said, we've probably never sold more off a single webinar than we ever did with this, because we coach them how to talk to our people and make it work that way. And so it is possible, right? You just have to look at it from who your customer's point of view is, especially if you are a sponsor in a company that's there for a business. Well, you got to speak customer language, right? You've got to be able to connect in that sense.
3: Carolina, you want to finish your audience thought? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, some of the things that you're pointing out uh, to me speak about friction between online and in person. And and by the way, you can get the best people and diversity at the same time. It's not Uh, not Learned that lesson. I've learned that
2: lesson. Um,
3: But, you know, what Evan was saying earlier about the reach and how digital allows you to get to more people uh, is linked somewhat to your complaint and mine too, because tell you getting up at six o'clock pacific time and it's not particularly pleasant either um of why do they get you to do something at a certain time even if it's recorded it's because they want the buzz right they want people to when you go to an event everybody's there everybody as as of a press conference you live tweet you do what you do to get engagement and you expand that the difference between doing that when everybody's online is that you do reach more people and you do have more engagement if it's done well. I've been to events this year where the event organizer had no social media presence. Uh, they did not, you know, uh, tag people, um, promote sessions, nothing. It, it was as if you know I did something for 45 minutes in a black hole. And 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 that's bad, you know. A year into a pandemic, not learning that is a really bad thing. But for a lot of it, I think is a question of, and to some extent, you touched on it when we were, you know, getting to know each other earlier. Is the same thing about education? Is the fact that this was a a, a, you know a gap filler, right? Everybody went into the conference world with, we're going to have to survive this year is not like how do we think about events and put in the um, the effort to actually create something that expands our opportunity or our audience. And I think that is where the friction is coming from.
2: Yeah. So so one last question on that and I will pivot to, to education a little bit because it's the same kind of thing. And 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 Jason and Reggie, I'll ask you guys to speak up if you can. Will will hybrid events continue? You know, once, once once the pandemic has finally sunsetted, we're hoping, you know, we won't have that big issue with variants. We're hoping, you know, we're, we're really in the, in the way to doing that right now. Um, as I said, I was a big believer of putting content online for the people couldn't go, but this this we're going to be hybrid. We're going to do the, the. is that going to be part of uh, conferences that you think going forward, like two years, three years down the road? Go ahead, Mary. I hope
3: so. I really yeah. do, because I do think that there's opportunity there to reach people that, for whatever reason, you know, cannot travel. Um, You know, it could be budget, it could be location, it could be that they're busy or whatever the case might be. Um, And I think if you do it thoughtfully, you can, you know, uh, really give a great experience to both your online audience and And your in-person audience.
4: Exactly, Caroline. It's also really important for diversity, inclusion, and including people who don't have the money to travel to events, and spend thousands of dollars attending, and their companies won't send them. And what a way to more, be more participative in this new digital tech economy. I mean, I've attended events and I'm sure others have that cost a few bucks now that used to be maybe 500 or thousand dollars. So that democratization of the content and access and the events I, I think is has been a move for good. And I hope that doesn't go away. Reggie? Yeah,
5: it, I agree with what with everyone's saying. It, you know, I think the hybrid will continue to exist. Um, you know what we've seen is really you, you have to manage that audience, and and I think the virtual experience gives you the opportunity to, as soon as you mention something, to provide uh, access to whatever that content. You know, so it's, it's at the tip of the spear that you can give that example and provide. If you're talking about a website, you can take them to that website as opposed to in face-to-face. Now, if you're, you're, you're skilled at as blended instructor, you can kind of navigate all of those uh, uh, balls in the air at the same time. But um, you know, as uh, as school systems across the country found out here, at least in the States and probably also around the world, uh, moving your teachers from face-to-face and then online and then all of a sudden, hey, throw your mask off and throw you in the classroom. and You're a blended learning instructor. Go for it. And uh, I I think there will be a price to pay in academics that will uh, show probably a big gap, at least in the K-12 space. So I think the blended space will be around. Uh, We enjoy the blended space. We've also, I think it's a good point about diversity, inclusion, and equity, really giving access and looking at the price point and where that content. Uh, We've joined on a number of broadband initiatives and at the core, USDLA has in our mission Uh, uh, diversity and equity. So we've lived that in our first conference, actually, we're shuffling our events around, but we also have a uh, international forum for women and e-learning, which is specifically for women, but we've talked to the committee and um, they've, uh, you know, stepped up even more to diversify that, that conference within that space, even, you know, crossing the bridge of Uh, how do we integrate men into a conference that's focused on women, uh, but not lose that perspective because it is for women that are leaders and for them to be able to talk and connect uh, and and really look at it. So we've taken a chance and, and really went back and looked at everything we're doing. And we're, you know, we're still making some adjustments, you know, as professionals, we look, we see what's going on. And we also talk to our sponsors and make sure that they're providing Um, not the sales pitch, you know, where's the application, and that's where you're going to really kind of connect with people. Uh, We took one of our sponsors and did a webinar on uh, mental health, which was not necessarily in that sponsor space, uh, but it was a relevant hot topic, and it continues to be. So, uh, you know, we're going to keep it moving and uh, really engage people and talk to people.
2: So I, I want to uh, uh, pivot in a moment to that topic, to the concept of blended learning and hybrid learning, and and, and what the future in education is going to be. But I do want to give Jason the last word on uh, on on conference planning and hybrid elements and conferences. You're planning um, Cedia Expo, uh, which you know is going to be uh, uh, September 1st to 3rd um, in Indianapolis, and and you know what are you planning for that in terms of hybrid? And then what do you see really continuing in the future as you put conferences on?
1: Thanks, David. I- as we touched on earlier, I think this past year, uh, everybody who runs an in-person conference or trade show had a scramble to, you know, just put something there. You know, like we need to have something on our dates. We canceled our in-person show, let's scramble. So there wasn't a lot of strategy or planning or research or anything that went into uh, Joe's point about, you know, asking your your clientele, your attendees, your membership, your customers what they, what they want, you know, and, and, and drive some of the conversation. We did learn in running some virtual events over this past year that there is, uh, to Evan's point, a very broad global audience out there that may never come to your in-person show, but they, they can be connected with and engaged with. And so, you know, now what we're looking at is our kind of digital extension of in-person shows and, and how do you extend the conversations well beyond uh, the three-day or, or week-long event And, you know, what do you do, you know, leading up to the event, during the event, following the event to, you know, foster that collaboration, connections, uh, you know, brand extension, case studies, all of that content, uh, you know, and and really drive a lot more value to a much broader audience. So, you know, when you think about hybrid at the in-person show, it's capturing a lot more things on video. It might be, you know, live streaming select, you know, highlights from the event you know, giving a flavor, a taste of the in-person experience, certainly the on-demand education that can be captured from the live. I think, you know, that other piece of, you know, David, to your point of the Q&A at a live event, you know, questions from the audience, that type of thing could also be done, you know, questions remote online, you know, actually facilitate that. I mean, there's certainly a lot of planning and costs and other considerations that go into that. Uh, and so, you know, how do you manage all that in addition to, you know, having new skill sets? I mean, when you pivot from, hey, we just did it this way as an in-person conference, and now we have to add all this technology in. Do we have the right staff and resources and bandwidth and, and other uh, mechanisms in place to be able to, to uh, reach out to a broad audience in addition to the folks who are there? And it's a marketing challenge. So you're, you're trying to get people to go you know, to the in-person show, but you're also trying to connect with a remote audience. Uh, You know, we're also looking heavily at matchmaking, you know, and, you know, in a digital way, online. You know, how do you have meetings and appointments online and at the in-person event uh, that can connect attendees peer-to-peer and also with manufacturers? So we're looking at all these uh, elements as we move forward. So, you know, whether you want to call it hybrid, digital extension, uh, you know, we're kind of moving away from the term virtual event it's you know for some people that's like voldemort you know like uh okay you know let's let's get back to in-person events and uh you know those experiences we had over this past year as everyone's touched on were not fantastic uh and so how do we make a better model uh, moving forward and still accomplish our strategic goals in you know connecting uh the marketplace providing information education and training so you know that's what we're looking at moving forward david
2: I think I might've been a little bit more harsh than not fantastic, but uh, but I'll have to go back and play the video and see what I said. The thing that really surprised me um, about it is, you know, is, we've all, I assume we've all attended sporting events. When you go to a baseball game and you go to a football game, you have that experience of being there. When you watch one on television, they don't just stick a camera on the field. They put a commentator in, they put an announcer in, they add graphics, they create, content meant for the audience mm. instead of repurposing the content that was there before. And I was stunned that after 16 months of, of, of the pandemic, that none of the major conferences thought about the idea of, and Joe, yours didn't, we'll, we'll ask you to respond in a minute, but none of the major conferences thought about the idea of creating um, a, a, a commentator or a host specifically for the online piece to add that different experience. I mean, I would, I if, if Evan Christel were the, well, the, host of CES, I would question whether or not I want to go or want to watch his commentary on it. It would he be just there. constant
4: trolling. It would just be constant <laughs> trolling the entire time. So I'm not sure that's something you want to put on. All right, all thank
2: right, you. Maybe, maybe. All right, Joe, you have one last point, And then I want to talk about education for a couple of minutes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that we also have to recognize that um, equity is not just offering something online for people who can't afford to get somewhere, right? It's also, uh, there are other elements to it of also tailoring the opportunity for them to attend, right? Because uh, if you were to say, all right, not everyone can make it to Cedia, Infocom, whatever, right? And you're now going to offer the same experience online. Well, you still have to have an integrator or manufacturer partner say, I'm going to pull this person from the field so that they can sit and watch and learn, right? And that's where there's the difference. There's been a, you know, a... Um, a issue with that let's say av twitter or people have commented it's the same 200 people just talking to one another right and then that's the same 200 people who go to the local av show and the same 200 people who do who go to you know the trade shows and do the after hours parties and host it and then they're all we're doing is posting same pictures of one another out at these events and you know that just shows that we're blessed to be able to take any mode we want and we can attend what we have to think about is what about the professionals especially you know to me i work in higher ed i'm very partial to the young professionals those who are coming up in the world and how can i give them opportunity it's equity once i can as someone offers the solution at a lower price that maybe i can afford so i can bring on but also i tell my staff you also don't have to work today so that you can sit and watch and learn and ask questions. And it takes a bite from me. And I challenge every integrator, are you willing to pull people from on-site tech support or an, you know, an actual installation in order to invest in them now that uh, conferences are offering you know, lower, you know, lower priced uh, experiences where you can learn? And that I don't know is happening. You know, so just offering it is not enough. There is another step that has to be taken.
2: Okay, excellent. Last point on that. Now I want to pivot to, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, a joke, a fable, a comment that I, I said to you guys before we started our recording today about the idea of uh, what's the most important uh, thing to a tightrope walker—is it the tightrope or is it the net? Um, the 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 idea being that being prepared for the emergency is sometimes more important than being prepared for what's actually happening, um, and 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 having that backup plan. The education community, for the most part, and I'm glad to say for the most part, Joe, because you're probably the exception to this, but for the most part, we're completely unprepared to be thrown into a distance learning and then a hybrid learning environment. We had the skills. We've been doing it, Reggie, you can talk about it. I I was at some of those trade shows you were talking about 20 years ago. You know, we, we know what it takes to have an effective online learning environment. And for the most part, we blew it. And we blew it for, a whole. we, the world, blew it for a whole bunch of reasons, um, one of which is it isn't the same as sticking a webcam in front of a teacher. You, you have to create content meant for the medium that you're working on. Um, Part of it is you know, this hybrid learning piece, You know, when you have some people in the classroom and some uh, teacher in the room and you're sticking them in front of a webcam, they can't move from their desk. That's not how they normally teach. The, some of the content doesn't work. Some of it needs to be adjusted because of the whole concept of flipped learning and, and, and what we actually do in a classroom. We i've had like nine shows about that and you guys have given your opinions, and if you want to feel free I don't have a problem with that. But but i'm not talking about that right now i'm talking about you know, thank the Lord and and everybody else that you might you know. uh, care about and pray to that it looks like this pandemic is sunsetting and we're going to be able to all go back to classrooms have students learn higher education K through 12 we're going to go back to a learning environment. Are we throwing away the net. Um, are we, are we, are we, did we learn anything from how prepared we need to be? You know, Ant in the grasshopper story, you know, now, now that we've got some time or, or now that it's stopped raining, are we going to go out and fix the roof or are we going to ignore it again because it's not dripping anymore? What are your thoughts about what education is going to look like? And, and, and whoever wants to go first, just jump in
3: you know i have a lot of thoughts on on education um and the first one is that like for live events or or enterprise i hope we learned a lot and that we're not going to throw it away not because we are waiting for another emergency but because there is a lot of goodness that comes from um, you know some of the solutions that you have online and i think that you know if you're thinking about um, equity and you thinking about um, a more personalized approach to education, which is the main reason why, you know, we took our kid out of school and start homeschooling is, is that technology can actually help you with that, can be a a aid to the teacher and the educator, and can help the kids to become more independent, uh, and create the learn their own learning structure. They can help each other. I think that there's been some really good learnings from this period uh, around how not just the resilient kids are, um, but how they help each other. How you know school wasn't just teachers to student, but student to student. And this is something that in the classroom it has always been a blessing, but not something that come easily because of how we think about education. So I'm hoping that what we saw over the past year is really going to get educators and schools to think differently about how we teach. But the difference between enterprise and education boils down to money, boils down to the fact that teachers are overworked, that they don't get the recognition that they deserve. Um, that you know, you have schools that play safe, and they cater to where they need to, you know, cater to to either get you know more enrollments to get money, um, or get funding from wherever they're getting it from, you know, either you know uh, church or or state. Um, so I, I think that th- that's the problem, in my view, with with how to spin off what we learn and take it forward. It boils down to willingness
2: and uh, money. Reggie, your thoughts?
5: Yeah, I think we did learn uh, quite a few lessons. I think uh, the the pandemic really, uh, you took away the net. I think we're gonna keep both, we need the net, Uh, but also allow institutions to see where they are with their instructors and also their content and how ready they are Learners. I mean, you have adult learners in all of these institutions as well that are working, raising children, and going to school so it's just not, uh, you know, the 18 to, to 24 that are in these classes. Um, I'm fortunate that I, I have a, a third grader and a junior in college so I got a chance to see both uh, a little bit of Google classroom and zoom and uh, some chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and then also as higher ed flipped in, in, in an environment where some parts and institutions get a uh, get out of jail car because their program is so perfect and it cranks out doctors and et cetera, et cetera. But when the uh, pandemic happened and they had to throw all of that content online, uh, you know, you see a series of YouTube videos again mentioned here and the, and the kids just fall off. Or young adults just fall off to sleep, and you know, to me, and I was honest with instructors and honest with my daughter. You know, that's just poor instruction, and it's unacceptable because we've been doing this for so long. It, uh, I think, it really just shined a light for all institutions to take advantage and do a better job. But then also, they need to have a little bit of compassion. I agree with Carolyn that um, you know teachers are are overworked underappreciated and I've heard from some teachers, you know, the lack of compassion as you see the school systems open up, shut down, throw you in a blended learning, you still have 24 kids, you don't have an aide, oh, jump in this Google classroom and uh, don't even think about scope and sequence, just throw some Play-Doh on the wall and just try to make it work. Um, and so my hope was that most of the school systems took the summer, really take advantage of the summer to, to really talk to all of us and uh, a number of associations to really get it right because the evidence is already there. The one big question that people came back to to our association, we put a resource page up with a ton of stuff from PBS, um, Merlot with uh, OER, Open Education Resources, and 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 everyone kept coming back. Reggie, where did you get all this new stuff? Like, well, a lot of it is not new. It's been out there. The industry has been around, and it's very relevant. So just because it's two or three years old, you know, blended learning has been around, you know, a distance education has been around since Abraham Lincoln, as we looked at at it for correspondence courses. And so uh, really, you know, I think we need the net to help people be comfortable with the technology. But I also think it's going to allow folks to focus on content and not give you a 45 minute video. So you're going to focus on what is really small uh, small chunks. I think institutions are also going to do more uh, uh, certificates and macro credentials and stack those credentials because, you know, I think we're busy and we've also had some trauma with the pandemic and, 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 and just how we are, uh, uh, you know, living our lives and, and some are starting to focus on the, the better things of life and gardening and they're putting their jobs and changing their careers. And so, you know, I think it's a dynamic time for all of us to engage, in. we're here to uh, have more fun as well and, and share some compassion for any and everyone in the space.
2: Agreed. And I think we also had the, 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 the social and political impact. Of, of probably um, um, a foolish belief that the pandemic was ending automatically as quickly as as we thought it would. So the last summer, which should have been used to prepare for better blended learning, was used thinking that it was going to go away. And now this summer, we're all believing that it's going to go away. I don't know how many people are paying attention to the blended learning piece.
0: Joe, so what's going on at USC? Yeah, you know it's it's very interesting. So we have come out and basic and made the statement that we are a residential college first. All right that said we were also pre-pandemic planning a multi-million dollar expense to upgrade to hybrid rooms even before we knew that we would need hybrid rooms so where do you balance that and i think this is where your question of which is which is it the rope or the net it's not an either or it's a both and right so what we have to look at with With higher education, all education, it's not. Are you going to be back to normal, or are you going to have online hybrid? You are going to need them both in order to be effective. So, what we recognized over the course of the of the pandemic was what aspects can we actually keep from both? What do people, the students, are. You know our tuition-paying students. What do they want, and how can learning be effective? Things that we recognized is, you know, um, having the academic freedom prior to the pandemic meant that a, a faculty member didn't even have to post a syllabus up to Blackboard or the LMS. Well, that's now gone. You will always now post a syllabus up to an LMS, and that has now been decided of where those those lines are. The same thing we were talking uh, before. Could you now have an expert who a researcher out in the field in Asia and Africa and be able to, or maybe your faculty member doesn't even need to live in Los Angeles. What if they could not have to take a year sabbatical to go do research? What if they actually lived on research and they called into the class and taught from the field with the students in the classroom learning? So how could we take all of those aspects, right, and bring them in uh, to make the total experience better? And that's why it is a both and answer, not an either or.
2: Okay, that's that's awesome And and I agree with you completely. I think we can do a better job than we did. I think it's harder in K through 12 um both because as you you all pointed out there's a funding issue but there's also an acknowledgement issue of you know how important this is going to be going forward and and how opening of uh, educational institutions it becomes when you do this the right way so reggie thank you for your organization having those resources out there uh, let me go around one more time let's start with you reggie how can people find out more about you reach out to you find out what you do and uh, and and, and uh, uh, what usdla does
5: you can come visit us on the, the internet. I mean, we have a website, like everyone else, uh, uh, usdla.org. Uh, we have a number of events that are coming up. We have state chapters, and so you'll find, and also resources that are free on the site. Um, we're, we're tearing up for our, our national conference, which we are actually discussed a very relevant topic. We're going to probably move the can a little bit and keep it uh virtual or move it further down and complement our if we conference. And so we have a policy forum, which is gonna engage some of these policy things and broadband is a hot topic here in Washington, DC. Uh, and then we have a national distance learning week. So I invite anyone that sees this video, it really engages. That is our opportunity to show everyone and everywhere to celebrate National Distance Learning Week and show what you are doing and best practices. And it's free uh, globally. Our European partner, uh, Eden, does a Europe version. uh, So there is a National Distance Learning Week in Europe as well.
2: Awesome, great. And how can somebody reach out to you if they want to get to you specifically?
5: You can actually call our office or email me directly at rsmith at usdla.org. And I live in all the social spaces. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you know, I'm probably not too hard to find.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Evan, how can people reach out to you? And more importantly, where am I going to see you next in person? Is it, uh, I don't know if I can convince you to go to Cedia that that Jason's planning, maybe Enterprise Connect after that. You tell me, how does somebody get you and where can I see you?
4: Yeah, always on Twitter, 24-7. So you can tweet at me at Evan EvanKerstell. And What's Enterprise that? Connect is is looking promising. I'll be pool side, but you can come to the pool and find me there. Probably won't be in the sessions, but uh, thanks for having me on the show.
2: Thank you, Evan. Thank you for for your contributions to keeping all of the stuff uh, informed and exciting. I learn a lot from you every day. Jason, what about hey. you? Tell us tell us if people can reach out to you and tell us about joining and registering for CDF
1: absolutely um, well if you want to learn about a lot of different events and publications across many industries you can visit emeraldx.com uh, my uh, employer uh, the two events that i manage are CEDIAExpo.com and kbiz kbis.com for the kitchen bath and industry show uh, you can reach me at, uh, at emeraldx.com or mr showguy on uh, twitter and um, registration is open for CD Expo September one through three in Indianapolis. So we're really excited to get back to an in-person event and uh, and host the industry there, and certainly talk about all the trends in residential technology. Certainly, as uh, this medium that we're on today has shifted into many of us working from home now permanently, or or at least hybrid, uh, you know, flux uh, working from home and office moving forward. So. We're going to definitely going to dive into that topic uh, significantly, especially in partnership with IMCCA and and David and Polly uh, sponsoring uh, some of the content there at the show. So we we'll look forward to hosting everyone and, and seeing you there.
2: Thank you, Jason. I will see you there. Thank you for the opportunity and the challenge. I am authoring that work from home content. I think it's going to be awesome. And hopefully I'll see everybody watching here in Indianapolis and at some of the other trade shows going on. Joe, you go, You coming to CD in Indianapolis? Um. I don't know. I kind of
0: want to. But I don't know.
2: I, to do I, you, I don't want
0: to, you know. Um, it, it's so fun. Okay, so I got my like first Resi cert, so I'm really excited. You know, I'm kind of rolling out. So trying to expand everything. You know, so, um, no. Uh, so well, I will reach be, out to you and get a
2: hold of you, Joe.
0: I will be everywhere. No. Um. So you can find me on all the socials at Josiah Way, and of course, if you uh, work in higher education, a tech manager at any any level, um, I encourage you to find hetma underscore org on all of the socials and reach out to us and connect and find your people
2: thank you very much john carolina last but certainly not least how did somebody how would somebody reach out to you and get a hold of you and get some of that excellent advice and analysis that you do
3: oh bless you um they can find me on twitter mostly um but linkedin uh, i'm learning (laughs) (laughs) Um, at Caro underscore Milanese, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. And uh, I have a weekly column on Forbes um, that caters to CSR and Tech for Good in particular, if you're interested in that topic.
2: All of my guests, thank you very much for being on this conversation. I think this was an awesome one. We t- delved into a lot of topics that I know are of importance to me. And I actually think I're going to see most of you in person in the next few months, which is really cool. Um uh, so for the IMCCA, for Polly, for uh, for uh, uh, Aviation TV, I'm David Danto. Anybody wants to reach me, God, if you don't have an email from me right now, you, you're, you're really lost. You don't understand the Internet. But uh, just Google my name, David Danto, and uh, you'll get more information that you care about. Or just go to danto.info, and all my blogs are there. Uh, thank you for joining us. We will see you on the next one, and uh, hope, uh, hope we get to see you in person again in the next couple of uh, weeks and months.